Shabbat Shalom. Well, last week we began to look, uh, take a look at the story of Esther. And right off the bat, we began to see something, something very powerful. There is something more to this story than meets the eye. It's not just a story about history. It's not just a story about particular individuals living in a particular generation, experiencing a particular set of circumstances, as though everything that we're reading about is confined to one moment in time. The story of Esther is so much more than that. The story is a living and breathing document today. It has life. It's relevant. Anyone you pay attention to what just happened this week with Netanyahu pleading for the safety of Israel, pleading for the lives of Israel during Purim? From who? The very same people we read about in the story. This is, it's all centered around Persia, Iran. You cannot make this up. This story, we're literally watching this story unfold right before our eyes today. The elements, the events, the characters involved represent a much deeper spiritual reality. And for those of you who confess Yeshua's Lord, for those of you who have dedicated your lives, you've put your faith and with your mouth you've confessed Him, calling upon the name of Yeshua, I'm going to tell you this. These deep, these treasures which need to be unearthed, these pearls that need to be found, they are for you and you alone. They are not for everybody. It's interesting, Paul, in uh, his second epistle to the Corinthians, he delivers a vital piece of information regarding the reading of the Tanakh, which is to say the Old Testament, and the revelation of it. Listen to what he says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, we read the following. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moshe, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Moving on to verse 14. But their minds were blinded. In other words, their understanding. This is what we're talking about. Their understanding was blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Let me point out the obvious. What is the book of Esther? Where is it? It's in the Old Testament, right? What does this tell us? There is a veil over this book. There is a veil. There is something about this book. There's something about every book that is spiritual in nature, in the Tanakh. That's what makes the Tanakh special. It's not a work of man. It's a work of the Spirit. And there is a veil, meaning a lot of people aren't going to see what they need to see. They're not going to understand what it is the Lord wants them to understand. But it's interesting, as Paul goes on, he says, but or because the veil is taken away in Mashiach. In other words, Paul is saying that when you have Yeshua, something happens Something magical takes place in the reading of the Tanakh. The veil is dropped down. The covering is removed. Revelation is given. Understanding is acquired. See, this is the secret to grabbing these treasure troves found in the Word. There's deeper spiritual truths in Esther, and the only way you're going to get it is through the lens of Yeshua. Amen? Now, if you remember last week, we didn't get 
very far. Originally, my plan was, and keep the laughter to a minimum, my plan was to get through chapter 5. I wanted to tackle Esther, the book of Esther, in two weeks. Uh, and if you noticed last week, I didn't even get through chapter 1. So I'm presented with two options. Either we can try to plow through this over the next couple months, or I can just uh, sparse it out over the next nine years. And we'll see if Yeshua will come back before we're done with Esther. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet. But uh, if you remember last week, I kind of left you hanging in the balance. We were looking at some of the spiritual parallels that existed in regard to the characters of the story. Characters such as King Ahasuerus or Ahasuerus. Characters such as Vashti. And then we have those seven princes, right? The seven princes of Medo-Persia. Those closest to the king. Well, today, I want to continue to draw out some more of the deeper spiritual reality. So what we're going to do is we're going to circle back to verse 12. And there we're going to find the king. He calls for Vashti. She refuses to come. Well, I want to show you how Ahasuerus responds to her rebellion because there is a response. Look at what verse 12 says. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command brought by his eunuchs. Therefore, the king was furious. His anger burned within him. So how does the king respond to Vashti's refusal? He's enraged. Or the key operative term, do not forget this, he is furious. He desires to call Vashti. It's his desire. He wants to proclaim her as queen. He wants to set the diadem on her head. He is proud, so he calls her, but she refuses. Now, what I find quite interesting is that this is the exact same scenario that Yeshua portrays in one of his parables. And I want to show this to you because this is going to continue This is going to prove what I'm trying to tell you. The book of Esther is completely spiritual. It's three-dimensional. has so much depth to it. And you're going to see a little bit more of that today. So with that said, we're going to go to Matthew 22, verse 1. And Yeshua answered and spoke to them again by parables. And let me point again. Let's talk about parables. What are parables? They're stories, but they're not just stories. They're stories with hidden truths. Mystery, secrets. That's why Yeshua tells parables. In other, when, when, when he uh, was talking to his disciples, they come up to him and they say, Yeshua, why do you speak to them in parables? Why are you doing it this way? And he says, because to you it has been given to know the mysteries. In other words, the hidden truths, that which is concealed. To you it has been given, but not to them. Understand, Esther While it is an actual event that took place, it is parabolic. It has a parabolic meaning. It has a spiritual depth to it, something that we need to extract. So here, Yeshua, he's going to speak a parable. The kingdom, going to verse 2 here, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for a son. Again, let me point out the obvious. What is really the fundamental backdrop of Esther? I mean, one of the fundamental backdrops of Esther that we see, it's about marriage. That's what it is. And here we read, there's a king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants. Isn't that interesting? Because last week we read, right in chapter 1, what did we read? Ahasuerus, when he wanted to go call Vashti, what did he do? He went out 
and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. Oh my, and they were not willing to come. Does this sound familiar? Because this is exactly how it went down. When King Ahasuerus, she actually calls for Vashti, she refuses to come. Now we continue in the parable in verse 4. We read, Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding, verse 5. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. Does this sound familiar? Because when King Ahasuerus, he sends out his servants to Vashi, she refuses to come, the text said he was furious. And we read here in this parable, the king sends out his servants to call those to the wedding. They were not willing to come, and the king was furious. You know, when you read texts like this, it makes you see the story of Esther in a whole new light. It starts to reveal it on a spiritual level. And this really, it does something important. It makes the story come alive for us. But again, only for those of you who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Now moving forward in our story with Esther, we find the king calls for her. She refuses to come. The king is furious. Now we move to the next step. So the king wants counsel. What do we do with this? Look at what is said in verse 15. What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to the law? You need to download this. You need to put this in because we're going to come back to this, whether in the next month or nine years. You need to know this. You need to remember Look at what he says. It's amazing to me that the king is calling. What should we do with Queen Vashti? Specifically says, according to the law. He's concerned about the law. According to the law, what shall be done? This is going to play a huge role in understanding the bigger picture in the story of Esther as we get closer to Esther herself and uh, the the narrative that unfolds. So it goes on, what should we do with Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus brought to her by the eunuchs, moving to verse 16. And Memuchan, or Memuchan, answered before the king and the princes. Now remember, Memuchan, he was one of the seven princes we talked about that were closest to the king, that had this access, this special access. So Memuchan answered before the king and the princes. Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in the provinces of King Ahasuerus. In verse 17. For the queen's behavior will become known to all women, so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him. But she did not come. Verse 18. This very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus, there will be excessive contempt and wrath. So here, uh, Mamukin, he realizes the effects that Vashti's rebellion is going to have on the kingdom. He knows that her rebellion, that her behavior, he knows it's going to spread to all women throughout the entire kingdom. Women throughout the land are going to be empowered 
by Vashti's actions. They're going to be empowered by her behavior towards the king. So that they, what do they do? They're going to treat their husbands in the very way that Vashti treated hers. See, Memuchan, he knows something. He knows that rebellion is, in fact, infectious. It's a kingdom killer. Rebellion is contagious, and we as believers in Yeshua, we need to be mindful of this. The Bible is clear on this fact. Ecclesiastes 9.18 says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war. One sinner, it's interesting, you look at Vashti's situation, one sinner destroys much good. Take this to heart and know the destructive power of sin. Do not underestimate it. One sinner destroys much good. 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul says, Do not be deceived. I love it. Every time Paul opens up with do not be deceived, what's involved in this area? Deception. He sees man is constantly deceived by this concept. Evil company corrupts good habits. Don't think that you can hang out with whoever you want. A righteous man should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. It will affect you. If you think these are going to be your closest friend, you're going to hang on with them, they're nice people, I'm telling you, look at what Scripture says. Evil company will corrupt you. It will corrupt the good habits. And then we have that famous statement in Galatians by Paul. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Just a little bit of leaven, and the whole bread is infected. The whole bread will rise. Which is why we as believers in Yeshua, we need to be so careful. We cannot allow leaven to exist in our communities. We cannot allow leaven to exist in our households. We cannot allow leaven to exist in our hearts. There is no place for it. It needs to be purged. You know, when you step back and you look at what's unfolding here in the story of Esther, if we look at it at face value, if we look at what Vashti has done, what Memuchan predicts is going to happen because of Vashti's behavior, there's an invaluable practical lesson that we can learn from a life application, and that is this. On a very literal, on a very practical level, women, listen to me. You possess great power. Your ability to influence cannot be underestimated. Your actions, how you behave, the words that you speak, understand, they can be crippling to another, or they can be encouraging and lifting up. They can be destructive, or your words can give life. Unfortunately, I think far too many women rarely appreciate the magnitude that their actions actually have or that their words actually have on another. You women need to understand that your behavior, the words that you speak can cause kingdoms to fall. They can cause households to fall, friendships to fail. How you handle certain situations, how you react to a specific set of circumstances... Yes, circumstances that are less than desirable may be downright insane, difficult. Understand, your actions, your behaviors, how you respond can embolden other women and will to do the very same, for good or for bad. The power and the influence of a woman is one of the most underestimated things that I know of. Jezebel is a great example of this, looking at this in the negative Jezebel was extremely influential, and she was a wife. Let me show you what 1 Kings verse 25 says, 21 verse 25. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. This is a powerful statement. 
I mean, just to think, unfortunately, it would have been great if they said no one had sold himself to do good like Ahab, but that is not the case. Ahab was vile. He was a vile king of Israel, selling himself to do nothing but what is abominable in God's eyes. Why? I'll tell you why. The very next thing says, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. You want to talk about the power of influence. Women, do not underestimate this power. Do not underestimate your ability to influence your husbands, your ability to influence each other, your children. In light of this reality, what do you suppose that Satan wants to do with you? Do you think he might want to use you? Use that potential? Want that at his disposal? Absolutely. Be mindful of it and don't let him. Don't become a tool for the adversary. Don't become an instrument of destruction. What you want is you want to be the enemy of all enemies to Hasatan. That's what you want. Dedicate yourselves to righteousness. Dedicate yourselves to walking in love, to forgiveness, patience, kindness. So as you've heard me say, put righteousness on a pedestal. Watch what happens to those around you. Living water will be coming out of you, and women will be coming to you to get life because Yeshua's living inside. Life, the author of life, is pouring forth from you. This is what you need. And let's be clear, men. You know, Esther is, is a phenomenal story for women. It applies to us. Everything I just said applies to the men. This is not a gender. Uh, this, is, this applies to men as well. Right? One thing I can tell you, women, men, doesn't matter. Whatever you choose to do, it is going to be called into account. Which actually brings us to the next part of our story. We find Vashti, she refuses to come to the king. So, she calls, uh, so he calls uh, Memuchan. Memuchan speaks up, warns the king, this type of behavior, hey, it's not going to be tolerated. We can't do this because it will contaminate the entire kingdom. At which point we pick this up in verse 19. If it pleases the king, let a royal decree grow from him, and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and Medes, so that it will not be altered, that Vashti shall come no more before king. Ahasuerosh, and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So because of her refusal to uh, adhere to the king's command, what happens here? She's cut off. Her royal position is literally stripped from her, and it's to be given to someone else, someone who is found worthy Someone who is better. You know, this concept, it brings us back to the parable that I showed you earlier in Matthew 22, where the king arranges for a marriage for his son, but those to whom the messengers went out and called, they were not willing to come. And then as we read verse 7 in Matthew 22, we read the following. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. Now what does he do? What is the response? You're going to see he calls it into account. And he sent on his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And you look at the spiritual dimensions of that. Peter talks about uh, the, the, the elements, the heavens and the elements that are in them. They're going to melt with fervent heat with the judgment of the living God that is coming. It's going to be the hell of Torah. The fire of Torah is going to consume all the wickedness on this earth. With the wicked, with them, everything is going to be burned up. The point being here is... When you don't come, 
when you're called, when you refuse the king's command, you are going to be replaced. And you are going to be destroyed. The king is not going to tolerate refusal of him. And this is why, you know, when you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, Paul talks about knowing the terror of the Lord. The Apostle Paul knows what's coming. He knows what's going to happen when the gates of heaven are open and Yeshua comes out with his army. And what comes forth from his mouth, he's going to destroy. With the words of his mouth, with the Torah of his mouth, fire is going to hew out of his mouth. And the wicked are going to be consumed. He knows this and he goes, knowing the terror of the Lord, what does he do? What, is our, what, is it our, what are we supposed to be doing? We are supposed to be persuading men. Change, repent, turn from your wicked ways. In fact, let me take this <clears throat> story to another level. I want to take you to Second uh, Chronicles. There's a story there that builds upon everything we're talking about here. Matthew 22, the story of Esther. And I want to show you this because you're going to start to see a pattern. And this will further prove, again, the story of Esther. There's more there than meets the eye. We go to 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 1. And Hezekiah sent to all Israel in Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Pesach to the Lord God of Israel. And there is so much here going on. If you understand what the festival of Pesach is about, what is it? It is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's what Yeshua is referencing with Gentiles that are going to come and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These Jews are going to come and sit down, and they're going to be having a very special meal. It is the Passover meal. It is the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. So you look at this in the context. This is mind-blowing. And what happened before this supper takes place, before they come to celebrate Pesach? Letters. Letters go out to tell the people, inviting the people to come to this. This is amazing as we continue. And we go to verse 2. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. And if you know Torah, Torah allows a provision that if you didn't get to keep it in the first month, there's a provision in Numbers 9 that you can keep it in the second month. For they could not keep it at the regular time because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. Verse 4. And the matter pleased the king and all the assembly, so they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. Moving to verse 6. Then the runners, this is amazing, Remember this. Then the runners, they went throughout all Israel and, and Yehuda with the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the command of the king. Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Avraham, Yitzhak, Ve'akov. And then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the king of Assyria. Verse 7. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers so that he gave them up to desolation, as you see. Verse 8. Now do not be stiff-necked 
as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary. This is the call. You think about where we're at today right now with the gospel of Yeshua being proclaimed, going to the four corners of the earth. What is the call? Come and enter into his sanctuary. Everything about what we're doing is so that we can enter the new Yerushalayim. We want to enter his holiness into his sanctuary. This is, this, you just can't make this up. Which he has sanctified forever. This is talking about the eternal Yerushalayim. There's no question. The eternal sanctuary. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. Verse 9. For if you return to the Lord your brethren, if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captives. There's the promise. You will have shalom. This is the promise. You're going to have shalom. Doesn't matter who took them captives, so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. What a powerful declaration. It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Yeshua. It's mercy. It's grace. The Lord loves us. The Lord loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. Right? How do they respond? It's amazing. Verse 10. So the runners passed from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. But they laughed at them and mocked them. Sound familiar? This is exactly what Yeshua described happening in his parable in Matthew 22. This is exactly what is happening in the story of Esther. Do you notice there's a reoccurring theme? It's reverberating throughout Scripture. You think the Lord might be trying to tell us something? This is a concept. This is a spiritual concept that the Lord wants to reveal to you. It's a warning that we do not fall into the same trap. Now, having said this, there is some good news to this story, and, and I want to share it to you, and I want to do it for a reason. But as we continue in verse 11, we read the following. Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zavalun humbled themselves and came to Yerushalayim. Also the hand of God was on Yehuda to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. So despite what we read with people scoffing, and those who are not willing to come, despite that, we see that there will be some that will heed the call. And this passage actually signifies what's actually going to transpire in the story of Esther. All right? Even if I didn't know the story of Esther, yet I knew what transpired with Hezekiah. Yet I knew and I understood what Yeshua is talking about in Matthew 22. I could already tell you where Esther, the story, is going. Because that's the beauty of Scripture. It's consistent. The Lord is communicating consistent messages to us. They don't change. It's consistent. Getting back to our story, we find Memuchan, he's advising King Ahasuerus on how to handle Vashti's rebellion. And he submits to the king that Vashti is to be removed. She's to be replaced with someone more worthy. At which point, he continues to tell the king how this advice is going to benefit the kingdom. Look at what he says in verse 20. When the king's decree which he will make is proclaimed throughout all his empire, for it is great, all wives will honor their husbands, both great and small. And the reply pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Mamukin. 
So notice, Memuchan, he understood that when Vashti is removed, when her crown is stripped from her, and her position as queen is given to another, and the kingdom actually witnesses it, he knows that this action, it's going to send a message. And it's going to be a powerful message. And that message is this. This type of behavior is not going to be tolerated. That type of behavior will not be tolerated in the kingdom. Thus, by taking this type of action, what does it do? It encourages everyone, all the wives throughout the land, to submit to their husbands, to respect them, to honor them. You know, this act is going to induce fear. And this is the good kind of fear. This is the fear that we want to have. This is the kind of fear that gives life. You know, it's moments like these in Scripture. We read stories like this. That this is the stuff that we, what's going on in Esther, this is stuff that's supposed to shake us to the core. It's supposed to shake us to the core, cut us to the heart. It is so critical that you guys are going home and that you are picking up your Bibles. More than ever, you need to be going home, shut the TV off, and start picking up your Bibles. Because the Bible is going to do something to you. It's going to do something to your heart. Something you need. You need to have the fear of God sown into your heart. Let me give you an example. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 9, we read the following. So Moshe wrote this Torah and delivered it to the Kohanim, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moshe commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, verse 11, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. This is what was supposed to happen. From the men on down to the children, they were to hear the Torah. They were to hear the law. And as we continue in verse 12, gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. Do you see the effects of going home and opening your Bibles and what it is going to do, going through Torah, going all the way through Revelation, it is going to have a massive effect. It is going to induce the fear of God. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you through His Word. Just open it up and do it and watch what happens. It will induce the fear of God. It's the power of the Word. This is the power of Torah. This is the effect it will have on your life, if you let it. Vashti did not have the fear. Think about the story. Vashti didn't have the fear. There was no fear there whatsoever. Moving to Proverbs 16.6, listen to what this says. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. When you're confronted with temptation, powerful temptation, and it's grinding at you when Satan is attacking you in your minds, both men and women, with insecurities, with fears, with bitterness, with anger. You need to have the fear of God to take you out from these temptations, from embracing these things, because it's by the fear of the Lord you will depart, knowing that the Lord is going to call all things into account. Acts 10.34 
This is an amazing thing. This is Peter speaking explicitly of the Gentiles who are coming and being grafted into Israel. Listen to what he says. And Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, this is how he describes the just, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Take these words to heart. These are characteristics described of the righteous. Matthew 10, 28, something Craig even alluded to. Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. See, unlike Vashti, we are to fear the king. We as the church, we are to fear our husband, Yeshua. Because if we don't, we're going to be removed. We're going to be destroyed. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of of life to turn one away from the snares of death. See, when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, we're talking about the word of God inducing the fear of the Lord, we are talking about salvation. Is it any wonder why Satan came into the church and ripped out Torah, knowing what it does, so that there is no fear, so that there is no understanding, they cannot decipher between good and evil. They don't even know what sin is. Right? Sin is lawlessness. The only way to decipher, to understand what sin is, is through Torah. Through what Torah condemns. Through what the Word of God condemns. It's no surprise what is going on. I know exactly when you look at it, it it saddens you. It it, it makes you want to cry for these people. But I know exactly what Satan did to the church. He crept in and removed the voice of the living God. Because Torah is accounted to as quite literally the voice of God. It's not hyperbole. It's called the voice of God. Now, wrapping things up today, let's finish up chapter (laughs) 1. Wait to Esther. Chapter 1, verse 22. Then he sent letters to all the king's provinces. Isn't it interesting? Let me point out the obvious. What do we know about these letters that are contained in this compendium that we call a Bible. It's a collection of letters. What do we know about these letters? I can tell you, they've gone out to the four corners of the earth. They've gone out to the entire kingdom. And listen to what is said here. Then he sent letters to all the king's provinces. Who's the king of the earth? It is the Lord. Amen? To each province in its own script. And to every people in their own language. Isn't that fascinating? Let me tell you something else I know about the Word of God that is so powerful and so beautiful. It has quite literally been translated in almost every language under heaven. Isn't this fascinating? He sends these letters out, but they're all in their own language. This is quite literally what we see happen to the letters of our Lord. The letters that He has sent out. We got a community in Indonesia that is growing probably faster than we are. It's amazing. 98% Muslim. And and Yudi is just doing an amazing work over there. The Lord is moving through him. But you know what? They have to translate Bibles into their own language. You You can't make this stuff up. When you look at what's happening, what we're living, what we're experiencing, and then you read the story of Esther, it's unbelievable. The spiritual components, what the Lord is trying to convey to us, is so awesome. 
And then it goes on to say that each man should be master in his own house and speak in the language of his own people. Let me ask you a question. What does the Bible tell men to do? What is the Bible instructing men to do? To be the master of his own house. Let me just give you one example. I could give you countless. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. So here you have letters going out. And what are these letters doing? All the way from Genesis to Revelation, they're telling husbands, you better start acting like men. Be the master of hell. Be the spiritual leader, not a dictator. Weak men are dictators. Godly, humble men lead. They lead their homes. They're to be the, the head of the wife because it's protection. It's for the protection. And this is so fascinating how Paul takes marriage between a husband and a wife and then shows us the parabolic meaning, the deeper meaning of the relationship that the church is supposed to have with Yeshua. It's supposed to mirror the marriage of the church and Yeshua. Our marriages are to mirror that at home. Absolutely amazing. He is Savior of the body. It's, it's like I just said. The husband is to be the Savior of the home, to be the protector, to walk with Yeshua. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Mashiach, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. What an awesome passage.